Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Happy Sunday. I am Robert Brining. I am your host, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host, Jeremy. Um, Tonight's guest is uh, Ken Howard, Um, and Ken Howard is a gay pause psychotherapist and life coach in L.A., and Ken has been paused for 19 years and has worked with um, gay and HIV-positive men, and he has a a project he uses called... um, have the life you want, and he does that by doing in-person consultations and counseling and iTunes podcast and a newsletter and various public speaking engagements. So um, I'm bringing Jeremy onto the show right now. Jeremy, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Hey, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sitting here chatting in the da- in the chat room, da-da-da, and then I... And then all of a sudden he hits blog talk radio. I'm like, oh, it's 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. So how was your week? My week was good. My week went, my, uh, this weekend I was a total bum. <laughs> An absolute bum. It was great. I slept on the couch a lot. Me and the dog just kind of hung out on the sofa. It was great. Well, it was great. fantastic. And then I had to wake up and do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I just want to um, send a uh, happy Father's Day out to all the fathers that may be listening to this. And, uh, and, and those who think they're daddies. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know who I'm talking to. Right. <laughs> and you know who I'm talking to. That's right. All you daddies out there. Uh-huh. Happy Father's Day. That's right. <laughs> So uh, usually on Father's Day, I kind of reflect a little bit, you know, on my dad since he's passed. But I guess with today being my mother's birthday as well, and then also my partner just came home after being away for five or six days. So it's kind of like, kind of took my mind off of it and helped me to move a little bit forward. So I'm kind of uh, grateful for that. So I always reflect on days like this, you know, usually bad, but I was actually had a whole bunch of good information come since I got to see my family and my sister and all them people. So, you know, it was good to get through all that. And I think I lost Jeremy again. Somehow, Jeremy, we lost. So um, going back to our, our guest tonight is Ken Howard, and he'll be joining us shortly. I'm waiting for him to call in. Um, and his website, you can find information on him at gaytherapyla.com or www.pausetherapist.com. Um, he also, um, I'll wait for him to come on before I uh, go and talk about it more. Here we go, Jeremy. Um, I don't know how we lost Jeremy, and I. I, I hit the I hit I I hit the hang up key on accident. <laughs> Alrighty then. I'm not doing well tonight. This is gonna be. <laughs> I'm technically. I know this. Snap out of it. We have oh a great guest. God. I love having guests like this on. People who are counselors and who who talk with young people. 
you know, who are newly diagnosed to help them out through, you know, situations, especially the emotional part, um, because it allows people who are listening to call in and, and talk about things that they might be going through, whether it's um, depression or, you know, maybe just being diagnosed. So I like having people with wisdom like him on. Don't you agree? I do actually. I, I think it's gonna. I think it's great. Anytime we can have a um, a voice of reason come on, because you know there's always you, and then there's me, and then there's me again. But um, it's always nice to have that voice of. Re- I'm kidding. Right. I have okay. somebody sitting <laughs> here online. He's so like, I, whatever. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, I have somebody sitting here online, and I don't know who it is. So I'm going to go ahead and bring them on. Uh oh. Mystery guest. Robert? Right. I don't know if it's Ken or not. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Who's this? Hi, Robert. It's Ken. How oh, is you? Yeah. Hi, Ken. How are you? Welcome to Hi. the show. Oh, thank you very much. Hi, Ken. Hi, Jeremy. I, I, I show... thought this was mystery date for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows me um, a whole bunch of ones across, so it just showed me your number that I was used to calling in on. So oh. I didn't recognize it. That's why you sat there for a little bit. And then we oh. malfunctioned. Oh, yeah, I have a blocked thing. It might have done that. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. And, oh, and, thank you uh, very much. Thanks for having me. Sharing all your information and your, your wisdom with us. <laughs> well, I hope. <laughs> Remains to be seen. Do you have wisdom to share with us? I don't know. It you know varies by the day. I think. <laughs> oh my! Oh goodness! Funny. So, um, you know, you contacted me about being on the show, and I, I, I love having people on like you. As I was saying before, you came on. You know, uh-huh. to to offer people who are listening maybe you know some insight since they're maybe newly diagnosed or they're still struggling with accepting their diagnosis, and wow. how good it is to have people, someone who they can call in and actually ask questions and have them be a professional about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because me and Jeremy, you know, we're not professionals. We just offer our experience. Where no, but I've play, I played a professional on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Once, twice. It's always fun. Well, you know, I always come from the standpoint of, of being both, you know, a licensed professional therapist, but then also as someone living with HIV myself for 19 years now. And, um, you know, sometimes in my work with positive clients, I will sometimes draw on, you know, the world of psychology and theory and all that stuff. And then sometimes I'll just draw on my own experience. You know, sometimes an anecdote from my own life is more relevant to what the client needs and what they're going through than, you know, than some of the theories of psychology. I kind of, I try and weave them together. Right. Do you find that, but you mostly, I know that you mostly work with gay men. Is that right? But you yeah. work with everyone. Yeah, That's I have like done other work in the past. I, for a while, I worked with an agency that was focusing on just women and youth with HIV. And uh, but it, you know, the majority of my work has been with gay men. Right. That's cool. That's cool. So That's I shouldn't it. ask which you prefer. <laughs> well, it was fun to work with women, but I think I, you know when you look at like the nonprofit organizations with aid services and stuff like that, you know there is a certain kind of what I used to call community relevance, where you know I do think you have to have positive women working with positive women at least a little bit, and gay youth, you know, gay pause youth working with gay pause youth, and you know there's something about that feeling of not feeling alone and having, you know, the similar demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, that was important when I w- in working with women because I actually think that you know positive women are somewhat underserved in our community. Yeah, I find it really hard to get 
women involved in, you know, things on, on the website and stuff. And it's, it's yeah. difficult. Some of them don't want to get involved because they don't see others involved. Right, exactly. They want to, And yet, you know, they can feel enormously isolated. And, you know, and a lot of them are fine. But, I mean, I have seen instances where, you know, there's been a little bit of homophobia where women that didn't know anything about gay men before are in, you know, nonprofit agencies focusing on HIV and they see, you know, gay magazines around. And, you know, it takes a little bit of getting used to for them. It, you know, it's just like anybody. Some people are homophobic, some aren't, and it just depends on who they are. Now, you're in Los Angeles, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Big La. Yeah, Big La. La La Land. Big La. La La Land. Where's Charlie um, right, but, you know. <laughs> I, you know, I grew up out there, so we've got a connection. Oh, really? Wait, uh, what area? Um, Santa Monica. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Santa Monica. Yeah, I spent a lot of my days in West Hollywood growing up. Oh, yeah? I was there even before the center was there. God. Wow. Gosh. We're talking a long time ago, but anyway, I digress. This is about you, not me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> because I could sit here and talk about me all I want. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but so... In Los Angeles, you know, I think a lot of people have this image of L.A. as being this giant melting pot of people and and really diverse. What have you found? Do you find that to be true in in your practice, or do you find that, or or what what is it that you've found? Yeah, well, I found a lot of that. I mean, I think Los Angeles as a city in general struggles with some of its you know, diversity issues. I mean, I think if you go back to, you know, the the civil unrest or riots, depending on what you want to call it, in 1992 after the Rodney King beating, that really kind of highlighted how, you know, L.A. is very diverse, and that's one of its strengths. But at the same time, it still has, you know, some problems. There's still a little bit of kind of a, a segregation, um, you know, particularly when you look at HIV services, because, you know, the biggest agency, AIDS Project Los Angeles, was kind of seen for a long time as a gay white men's agency. And so if you were Latino or if you were African American, you know, there was this feeling like you weren't quite welcome there. And they've they've worked really hard to change that and I think they have with more you know bilingual staff and all that. But there's still a little bit, you know, when it comes to HIV services that there's in some ways the black HIV agency and the Latino HIV agency and the and the gay men's one. You know, it gets a little, uh, you know, part of it is just a geographic, you know, proximity of where to go. And then other, the others of it, I think it's kind of, yeah, it blends, but, yeah, everybody also needs their own services. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a mix. So. And fortunately, there are some. I mean, I work down at Spectrum in South L.A., which is primarily African-American, but then there's also being a star in uh, East L.A., and that was primarily working with Latinos and um, not only just Latinos, but also uh, transgender Latinos or Latinas. And uh, so, you know, for L.A. is so big and there's so many people living with HIV there that the HIV services get really specialized. Mm-hmm. Are, do you think that the HIV uh, services in Los Angeles are overtaxed or, or underutilized? Well, I think, gosh, some of both. I mean, I know the Mickey Robbins, who's the head of mental health for APLA, and I think that they do pretty well now. But, you know, for a while there was a time, I think, when they were a bit underutilized, when they were struggling a little bit to meet the numbers that the 
the county funding sources, LA County Office of AIDS Programs and Policy, were demanding of them. And so there were a lot of people that needing that were needing help, but then also the agencies sometimes were meeting their numbers, sometimes they weren't. So there's this thing about trying to get people connected. Mm-hmm. You know, plus the idea that you know many more people are living with HIV in Los Angeles County or everywhere really than know it. I mean, uh, AIDS Healthcare Foundation has a big billboard campaign in LA now to uh, encourage testing. That uh, what's his name? Um, Blair Underwood, the uh, African American actor, is uh, you know he's kind of the spokesperson for really promoting testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, particularly testing among African American men, with just the slogan "Man up," you know, right. "Man up and get tested, dude." That's <laughs> that's kind of the the gist of it. <laughs> Man up and get tested. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's actually a great concept. Yeah, because they're re- you know they're just really trying to to reach you know underserved African American men and Latino men, and then mm-hmm. you know there's some gay white men too that you know have probably gotten a little lax. On testing, but I think as a group, you know, the gay white men with health insurance and doctors and all that, they tend to get tested more than some of the guys in South LA or East LA, where you know I think some of the homophobia drives the uh, testing underground and you know some HIV phobia and just you know just a fear of you know you don't really talk about going to get an HIV test in some of those areas. Hmm. Interesting. So. What part of L.A. Are you, do you practice in? I'm right in West Hollywood, right on Santa Monica Boulevard. Oh, look at that. Where at? Yeah, yeah. Right across uh, from Barney's Beanery, that old landmark where, you know, in the 80s, that was the site of, um, you know, a big controversy because they had a sign over the door that said, faggot, stay out, with the faggot <laughs> spelled wrong, with one G. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a big deal. And then the city of yep. West Hollywood intervened and said it violated the non-discrimination laws that were very novel at the time in the early to mid 80s and then you know since then it's uh it's very mixed and it's very you know it's changed owners it's very kind of gay friendly but it's still very much kind of a a butch sports bar kind of place <laughs> mostly straight <laughs> but you know whenever when people say you know where you look I just say right across from Barney's beanery <laughs> so they could find it you know a lot of my clients walk to my office too cuz it's in Oh my that's office. good yeah. But you also do phone counseling as well, right? I do some. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some people in LA if if uh, you know, they're in entertainment, sometimes they might go on tour with a show or they might go on a film location or something like that and then uh, you know, we do phone sessions until they get back so they can kind of stay connected and you know, we do just like this where um, you know, we're just on the phone and then they mail their payment and um, you know, we kind of stay on track. So that they don't have this hiatus in their treatment during the time that they're gone. I see. But you don't do like um, like if somebody's listening and they wanted to maybe talk with you or set up a session. Yeah, they certainly could. Um, okay. The the rules that govern California therapists, it, we can't really call it psychotherapy if they're living in, say, you know, Illinois or something, because I'm only practic- licensed to practice in California. But right. we can do uh, coaching, and then you know, I fax them some paperwork and. It's some, you know, legalese stuff um, about kind of the rules that govern coaching. But, yeah, that is available if somebody's listening and they're interested in what I do. And, you know, we could certainly do that. The only thing we can't do is bill insurance for that. Right. Or they couldn't, you know. Right. Yeah. So, But, yeah, that is available if they want. Hmm. 
Cool, cool, because that's always, you know, some people always try to look for someone who they can relate to when they're looking for a counselor. And I know for me, when I sat down with a counselor one-on-one, they gave me a straight man. And it just didn't oh, work yeah. for me. Like, it just didn't work at all. You know what I mean? So a lot yeah. of people feel more comfortable with somebody who, you know, maybe also be gay and HIV positive. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that, you know, is a little more subtle, that's kind of a subtle frustration for me, is that, you know, with all due respect to my colleagues, there are a lot of my colleagues out there that will say that they will see an HIV-positive person and they have no problem with it, and then, you know, something will come out of their mouths that just shows how insensitive they are. You know, like uh, one of my clients who's uh, who's not HIV-positive said that he was working with a straight female therapist a while back and that he was dating a positive guy and then told the therapist that just kind of in passing and the therapist kind of leaned forward and got this, you know, concerned look on her face and said, oh my gosh, why would you want to do that to yourself? You know, meaning that, (laughs) you know, that no, no negative guy should be dating a positive guy. You know, she just assumed that any negative guy that dated a positive guy would automatically become positive. It's like, no, lady, actually, you know, there's everything involved with, you know, safer sex and ways that you know, there are plenty of serodiscordant relationships that work just fine. I'm in one. My husband of seven years is a negative guy, and, you know, we have a pretty good sex life and, you know, <laughs> and not, not much inhibition there, and yet he's, you know, he's still negative. There are ways to handle that, and there's an article on my website about that called um, Magnetic Couples, One Positive, One Negative. And, you know, so you have, sometimes you have these, you know, well-meaning and otherwise very well-qualified therapists, but they don't know the first thing about, you know, the ins and outs of HIV. So, Yeah, it's. I think it's always interesting when you bring HIV into the mix. It's as if we've been conditioned somehow that, um, you know, sex is over yeah. after HIV. And it's, it, it just, to me, there's just so much more that we have to do yeah. um, as far as, you know, because we do a lot of, you know, prevention, there's just then what happens when you have it, when you live with it, you know, how do you guide someone down that journey? You know, mm-hmm. once they've, um, once they've gotten to, uh, uh, gotten the diagnosis, what, what next? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, after gosh, nearly, you know, 20 years of doing this, I really see really vivid, rites of passage that a person goes through. I mean, when somebody calls me and they have HIV and they want to work on it or learn to cope with it, they're usually in the first year because I think the first year of diagnosis, even to this day, even in the the great, you know, progressive era that we're in with good medications and all that, they're still freaked out. And and mm-hmm. I also notice that after the first year, the levels of anxiety drop dramatically and i also think the levels of anxiety drop dramatically once they have counseling once they see you know they see me and they see me doing all kinds of you know physical things and you know i talk about my hobbies i'm a an amateur aerialist like a circus acrobat and i do that you know with 19 years of living with hiv and with an artificial hip from oh, a okay. vascular necrosis so wait, you know wait, they stop 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 hold on hold on hold on <laughs> you actually like climb up on a high wire thing and start flipping in the air yeah on a static trapeze yeah uh, okay 
Yeah. And, and why would you leave the ground to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I've been to different events and things like that, you know, where they've had these people perform, and I just saw it and fell in love with it and said, I want to do that. And then there was a local Pilates studio that offered a called Men's Aerial Fitness, which is, you know, using a trapeze for fitness along with uh, a Pilates warm-up on a Pilates ball and things like that. And, you know, I do all these things, and I talk about, you know, the things that I, I do, and people see me and say, wow, you know, 19 years with HIV, and that's what you do? I'm like, well, yeah, because if you really, you know, you really take care of yourself, you can do that. And that's with, you know, that's with challenges. I mean, you know, like I said, a year ago I had a total hip replacement that came from a vascular necrosis of the, the femoral bone in my, in my left leg. And, oh. uh, you know, that happens, and it came from... Uh, really from rampantly high cholesterol probably mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I've I've known several guys, you know, with HIV who've had to have hip replacements. And, you know, I had to stay off the trapeze for about 12 weeks to heal up, and I had to have physical therapy and stuff, but I feel great today. And, you know, so it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, on on the one hand, I don't want to say that HIV is such a picnic that, you know, you don't have to be careful about prevention for negative guys. But at yep. the same time, if somebody's newly diagnosed and they think they're going to be at death's door next week, you know, I kind of say, well, not really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but hold, uh, on. hold on for one second there, Ken. Um, I have um, somebody on the line here, so I'm going to take this call. Oh, okay. Okay, hold on one sec. I have to try to see if I can. I am not... Then I have to bring Jeremy back because I think I accidentally need No, him. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Can you hear me? We can hear you. This is Nicholas Snow calling. Hey, Nicholas, hey, Nicholas Snow. Welcome. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. How are you? I'm good. This is my... I finally mastered how to listen to a blog radio show. I figured <laughs> it was my responsibility. So I'm. I'm currently in Palm Springs where it's uh, gorgeous and sunny, but I just wanted to thank everyone involved in today's program for all the good work that you do. Oh, well, that's sweet. Thank you, Nicholas Snow. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> do you have a question so for I, Ken? Um, well, I actually do. I wanted to know, um, in his experience working with uh, uh, HIV-positive people, how many... How many of them found out they were HIV positive because of of uh, voluntary testing versus uh, finding out that they were HIV positive because of some sort of symptom? And what does he think is the best idea, the best way of inspiring more voluntary testing of, among those that may have been exposed? Oh gosh. Well, I I think um of the folks that I've worked with, um I I'm pretty near I I'm trying to think if there's any exceptions, but I think all of them were, you know, voluntarily tested. They went to either uh, you know, the LA Gay and Lesbian Center or they went to uh, AIDS Healthcare Foundation or, you know, some place that offered it and then, you know, they were voluntarily tested. I there was I used to be clinical director of Spectrum, which is a, a multi-service uh, agency in South LA. It's kind of near um, the Big King Drew Medical Center there down there, and um, they had some people admitted to the hospital that found out that they were HIV positive only after they developed, you know, major illness. Some people were admitted 
with pneumocystis pneumonia and all that to the medical center and, and only found that then. But that's a little, that's rare. I mean, that's somebody that's been really underserved and kind of disconnected to medical services. The, the guys that I see, mostly gay men, um, mostly either white or Latin, um, have been, you know, people who voluntarily tested and, and sure. a routine test, you know. They get tested every but, month or every year. I know one of the issues uh, in other parts of the world is that uh, the majority of people, I believe I'm stating this factually, the majority of people are still learning they're HIV positive, not as a result of a voluntary test, but because the HIV has a progressed to a certain extent that they do have some sort of uh, HIV-related illness. Yeah. Uh, so my my message, and I'm sure you share it, is to really inspire regular testing among those that might need it. Yeah. I'm really big with certain themes. I mean, I, I work mostly with gay men, but within that population, there's so many different issues that we work on, whether it's career or relationship or health or behaviors or finances or all kinds of things. And one of the themes that I really preach about a lot is um, self-empowerment and, and loving yourself and taking care of yourself. And, you know, that's everything from, you know, going to the dentist two or three times a year to having HIV tests to getting exercise to eating well to having social supports to balancing, you know, work and home kinds of things. It's kind of what I call comprehensive self-care. Right. I want to thank Nicholas for calling in. I have um, two more callers on the line, so I'm just going to take the calls. Do you mind, Ken? Oh, that's fine. Okay. I'm just going to bring the next caller on here then. If I can click on it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Pazam Radio. Who's this? Is this me? Yes, it's you. Yes, oh, what kind of, what's up? This is Kenji. Hey, Kenji. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? <laughs> well, because he said he had two callers on the line. I didn't know. Is this me? I don't know. Is it? Is it What's up, Jeremy? <laughs> um, nothing. I just wanted to, um, one, um, I've been listening to the show, but um, I couldn't get in for some reason. Um, Ken, I wanted to commend you for the work that you're doing. I think it's awesome. Uh, oh, I'm actually really you. enjoying the show. Thank you. But I have a couple of questions for you. <laughs> um, because me as a black man, I hear a lot of ASOs, a lot of care providers say things like blacks aren't testing or or we're not we're not really utilizing services. How how do we how do we work to correct that? Because I, I hear it said, but then when I when I sit back as a black man, I'm like, well, I'm accessing it. What's the yeah. difference between me and the rest? So how do we work to correct that? There was a lot of discussion, um, you know, when I was clinical director down at Spectrum, and, um, you know, I think what it is, it's a two-pronged thing. It's it's the clients themselves, you know, uh, it's an awareness thing. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's them being aware of the services. But then also I think there's a tremendous burden on the agencies to, you know, they've got to do a better job of it. They've got to somehow make themselves known. They can't be hidden off and, you know, in a building on a corner somewhere and, and right. make no effort to, to, to reach out, you know. And I think we had people who did all kinds of, um, you know, at Spectrum, they, was, they were associated with uh, some of the research programs of Charles Drew University of Medicine and Science, which is a traditionally mm-hmm. African-American medical school. 
And right. they did a lot of research, and they would do outreach in various programs and, you know, make outreach efforts to, um, you know, gay or pause-friendly churches and, you know, just to kind of create a climate where it was okay to get tested and, and that was a more routine thing and kind of overcome some homophobia that you see in the black churches sometimes. You know, they can be – there were better ones for that and worse ones for that in that area. And right. I, I think it's really a two-pronged approach. It's getting the community to be aware of testing, that it's available and why it's important. And then the agencies have to really, you know, put themselves out there and say, hi, we're here, we're here for you. Right, I mean, because that's one thing that I see with Oasis Clinic, with that, which I believe is still over there by King Drew. Right, um, yeah, it's right next door to Spectrum, really. Yeah, I mean, the, the the amazing outreaches that they have, like going to the catch, going to places where, where black men frequent. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. you touched on, on something with, with AIDS. So I'm a client of APLA, um, and I'm, I'm glad you said it, because if I said it, there'd be some backlash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I, I couldn't agree with I couldn't agree with you more. I as really? as a client there, I, huh? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I I've been in private practice now, well, part time for like ten years and full time for like five years, and so, mm-hmm. you know, my ties to some of the agencies is a little looser. I'm on a community advisory board for APLA for their mental health and case management departments, and we you know advise them on things, and I really try and get, you know, feedback from the community and bring that back to the staff and have them implement it so that they just, you know, with APLA, there's always been a, a criticism that they weren't responsive to the community, and yet they want to be. You know, some of them are, like, certainly, you know, the head of mental health and the head of case management really want to be uh, responsive to the community, but they need feedback about that. But what have you experienced there? Um, <laughs> I My case manager is great. I I I. I my case manager is great, and Brian Risley, the age treatment educator, is great. Yeah. Morris is great, but my experience outside of them, I wouldn't recommend people going to APLA. I just wouldn't, yeah, unless they can scary. only deal with Tiana, Brian, or Morris, and that's not the case. Uh-huh. And what I hear from, from blacks and Latinos is, and I feel it myself, is I don't feel represented by them. I feel like most of the work I have to do myself and then go tell them, this is what I what I did, and now I need you to do the rest. Yeah. And it's, for me, I'm just like, if I'm empowered enough to do all this, there's only so much I can do, and I'm sure you're aware of, because sooner or later my case manager has to step in. I can only take it so far. But if I'm doing all the work, I'm just like, wow, I should be collecting a paycheck. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, and I think if that's I, – I had a client uh, – raise on a client, but just a, a fellow from the community email me about that the other day about uh, – you know, feeling frustrated about getting the services. And I and I think what some of the agencies don't do a very good job of is that they don't make it real clear right up front what they do versus what they, they expect the client to do. I mean, they would say things like, you know, we don't have the staff time or the resources to do everything for you. But, but there isn't a discussion about, you know, what their responsibility is versus what your responsibility is. And so sometimes you can expect them to do something that they're expecting you to do and just, you know, not being on the same page. And, you know, that's what gets people so frustrated is that, you know, they they go there expecting one thing and they're getting another. And, you know, that really needs to be discussed, you know, actually discussed and I think even negotiated, (laughs) you know. Right. I want to thank Kenji for calling in. I have another caller here on the line. I'll bring them on. Let's see who this is. 
Welcome to Pause Time Radio. You're on the air. Who's this? Are you talking to me? Hello? 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 Hello, who's this? This is Jason. Hey, Jason, how are you? Not too bad. I live in Los Angeles. I've actually been uh, positive since 2004. Um, and I think I'm going to go in a different direction with questioning. I was going to talk about APLA, but there's no need for that at this point. Right. Um, but the thing that I have noticed, um, I'm actually a volunteer with Positive Images. Oh, yeah. And, and we're trying to uh, create a uh, buddy system kind of thing where they will pair up someone who's been diagnosed for a while with someone who's newly diagnosed so they don't have to go through that uh, beginning stages by themselves. Wow, that's great. Because um, I know I, when I came out, I was still in my you know, early 30s, but it was still kind of frustrating, um, you know, as far as that goes. But one of the things that I've noticed since I've been positive is that um, I find myself having to educate people because they have this incredibly strange outlook that now that they're positive, oh, well, I don't have to worry anymore. Yeah, and that bugs me a lot. Um, do you find that uh, in your travels? Well, it, it depends on worry about what. I mean, I think it. Gosh, psychologically, um, you know, I think that ties into some of the prevention strategies. Where, you know, some guys, uh, particularly with gay men, you know, they they feel such a strain and such an anxiety about trying to prevent HIV, that they just like, you know, oh, what the hell, if I'm positive, then I don't have to worry about it. And, you know, on the one hand, yeah, that means you don't have to worry about, you know, being careful and, and staying negative. But at the same time, you know, you've got a whole other plate full of things to worry about, you know, worrying about, you know, the inconvenience of, of what you have to do to stay negative versus what you have to do to, to manage HIV. I mean, there's just no comparison. So... um you know that that is something that I think prevention messages don't really get across. Which you know, which kind of brings me to to one of the things that you know has really been a bee in my bonnet lately is about prevention messages. Um, you know, I I don't do work much in that area anymore, except you know, I mean, I'm kind of almost isolated in a private practice office, just working with one client at a time all week long, but. Uh, you know, I'm actually thinking of trying to do a little bit more and take a more public role about HIV prevention because I think it's absolutely abysmal. Um, it, it just doesn't exist anymore. The young gay men who are sexually active are almost completely without any kind of resource. And, yeah, we've got a prevention department with APLA, and, yeah, we've got prevention with AHF, but, you know, it's just it's just not enough. You know, young guys are not... They don't know what's safe. They don't know what's not safe. They don't know how to have safe sex. And a lot of it, even Michael Weinstein, the head of AIDS Healthcare Foundation, has said this, is that it gets very political in that, uh, you know, basically the Christian religious right has been in control of things like the CDC and uh, the NIH and all that, and they just don't fund sexually explicit HIV prevention materials anymore. You know, you can't talk about... You know, I don't know what we can say on the radio, but you know, you, you just can't you can talk. Say whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you can't talk that much about sex. You know, and 20 years ago or so, in the 80s, you actually had much more explicit 
prevention materials. I mean, they would show a photograph of a, a penis with a condom on it and say, you know, this is the right way to put one on, this is the wrong way, or they would fund, you know, very, very fun community safer sex workshops where, you know, I saw a guy demonstrate, you know, putting a condom on a banana using only his mouth, <laughs> you know, and they and, and it was, you know, it was called um, the Shades Program, Safe, Hot, and Damn Erotic Sex, you know, and it was about eroticizing safer sex. You know, these are all things that uh, Being Alive in L.A. used to do, L.A. Shanti used to do, and there's just not funding for that anymore. And because of it, um, you know, you guys who are, you know, the age now that I was then, you know, 20 years ago, they're not getting the same level of safer sex education. And they're just, you know, some way in some ways they're going overboard, like they don't even want to touch somebody positive. They don't want to date them because they're afraid they're going to get HIV if they shake hands with somebody positive. Or, on the other hand, they're going too far the other direction where they think, oh, well, everything's safe, and, and it's not. So... You know, I think HIV prevention in L.A. and other places is kind of a mess just because of that. And it just, you know, it breaks my heart because it means that all these young guys out there who are now becoming sexually active are just completely at a loss for how to prevent HIV. It's funny that you say that, Ken, because I remember when I was in school, they went over, you know, like one day of of HIV and, and, you know, other STDs and things of that nature. And I always thought now that these people would have progressed and, like, the schools would be teaching it a lot more. And then just recently, my friend Tracy came over and was telling me this girl she was working with who has to be maybe, she has to be over 18, I would say, was sitting there talking to her, asking her about catching AIDS off of a toilet seat or from kissing somebody. Yeah. And, I, and she was, my friend Tracy was like, I was floored that this girl was that ignorant and did yeah. not know. It makes you wonder, like, you know, where did she go to school? What kind of health class did she have? You know, all that. What school system was she in? What is the policy of sex education in the in the school where she went to high school or junior high? You know, you just wonder with these things, where, how is it that these people are not getting educated? I know. And then she sat there and lectured her for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And also about the relative safety. I mean, I, I think I mean, privately in, in therapy where people can just talk about anything in a you know, soundproof room and it's all confidential, you know, they will ask me sometimes about, you know, what about oral and what about this and what about topping, what about bottoming? And, you know, there is actual research out there about the relative risk of various things. And I think the NIH and the CDC are overly conservative when they say, well, you know, condoms don't work. They do so. They they do so. And or that, you know, ooh, oral sex is unsafe. No, it's not. I mean, you know, it, it, the rates of transmission through oral sex are extremely low. And so, you know, you you can't create a, a climate where, you know, everything is all equally unsafe because then people are like, oh, the hell with it. I'll just do whatever I want. And I, I think gay men need to be educated on the relative safety of every sexual act that they can do with, you know, unprotected receptive anal intercourse being the most risky of all. Right. I, um, the last caller we had kind of got disconnected. Let me just bring him back on, Jeremy, and then I'll come back okay. to you. I just, because I accidentally was trying to mute him. And you're, hello? Uh, back to me? Yeah, sorry about that, man. That's okay. Um, yeah, I was listening to you while I was waiting again. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you're saying the stuff that you are saying. 
Um, I worked the booth for Positive Images for the festival this last weekend. Oh, great, yeah. And we took in almost a 1,000 surveys, and you would be astounded how many people had more than a dozen partners in the last six months that haven't been tested in the last six months. Yeah. And when, you know, and they don't seem to want to because after our survey we give them options, you know, of giving us an, an email or something so we can send out information on where to go or who to talk to. And people just don't want to know or they don't care or they're scared to find out or whatever the many situations may be. But it was just kind of um, kind of upsetting that that's the mentality of the youth nowadays. Yeah. Well, and you also have to wonder, you know, how safe was the sex that they were having, you know. Um, I, I'm actually a great defender of promiscuity as long as it's safe, <laughs> you know. I just I don't think it's about the number of partners because, you know, you can have sex with 12 different guys this week, and as long as you're safe, you are much less likely to get HIV as a negative gay guy than somebody who had, you know, one partner this week and it was unprotected sex. You know, so, right. Well, with positive yeah. images, we are pro-sex. I mean, we're not saying you have to be abstinent, you have to do, and we're, we're not even promoting safe at that matter. It's just a matter of of uh, disclosure and, and um, some of the more, you know, because a lot of the people, their, their mentality is, okay, I'm positive and it doesn't really matter at this point, even though I have to educate them a little further and say that, you know, HIV is like the flu. There's several different strains, and just because you're positive with one doesn't mean that you're okay for the other one. Yeah, which um, even that's, that's controversial. I mean, I've heard, you know, several doctors kind of talk about that, about, you know, um, Mark Katz, who the, was the head of HIV at Kaiser, you know, he was talking about how, you know, chronically infected positive gay men probably are not at risk of reinfecting each other with a separate strain. Um Michael Gottlieb said said similar things. Um, you know, physicians who give you know community education. So, yeah, that's a risk. But yet, you know, you do hear some doctors saying, well, you know, they're they're not real convinced of that and what they see. Right, I agree. One of the um, one of the things I wanted to talk about because um, I thought it was very important. I just discovered it today because. I extensively went through your website and somehow I missed this until just a little bit ago that you have a, a book, which is an e-book, right? Yeah, yeah. And I went and I listened to your little intro describing the book and it was so like soothing, like your voice, like, you know, some people can't do an e-book. Yeah. <laughs> and some people can, or, or some people can't like talk, like and do any kind of an audio and it just flew and it sounded like, you know what I mean? Like it sounded... So good, and and I know the ebook is something. Can you just explain to people who don't understand what it is? Well, because sometimes it, I don't understand what it is. Well, it's really it, it's really just you know it's a written file that's uh, that's a compilation of all of my columns from A and U Magazine, Art and Understanding, um, America's AIDS Magazine. It's kind of a, a sister magazine to uh, to Pause Magazine, and uh, I wrote a column in there called Positive Living um, for two years. And it was just, you know, one column a month about uh, successful living with HIV, you know, particularly from a mental health perspective and, and from an advocacy perspective, too. And uh, just about different things around different holidays and kind of a feel-good book about, uh, a, you know, or, or a feel-good column about, uh, you know, what I call successful living with HIV, either based on my clients that I was working with at the time or based on my own experiences, too. 
and so I just decided to offer it as a compilation. Now, when when you say ebook, what does that exactly mean for people who don't know? Well, it's, that, it, 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 it's like... you know, I mean, it's a fancy word for really. It's a you know, just a word file. Um, you know, okay. it's it's a compilation of of all the articles in one place. Gotcha. So it's something yeah. they read online. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or they could, you know, print it out. they could print out the file too. Okay, that's interesting. Because I know, um, like you said, you do you focus a lot more with the emotional support. Uh huh. You know, throughout it all, and I think that's like the most important support out of all of them. Yeah. And and I commend you for focusing, you know, on that part specifically in, in your writing because a lot of people don't think about that. They only think about the medicine and. And then your viral load and your numbers, and and they don't think about no, all the other things. Particularly that, politically, you know. I mean, it's like yeah. uh, when you talk about funding for the Ryan White Care Act, which is the federal government funding for all kinds of HIV services. You know, they think, you know, what do we need all this frilly extra stuff for? Let's just fund, you know, ADAP programs and fund meds and fund medical care, and that's the end of it. And you know, that's not the end of it. Uh, you know, mental health care is as, almost as important as medical care in HIV, and uh, when I was co-chairing the L.A. County HIV Mental Health Task Force for about nine years, you know, that was always the the cry of advocacy. You know, it was uh, because, uh, you know, somebody can go to a doctor and have their blood drawn for labs and, you know, they can have meds and they can even be undetectable, but that's not the end of the story. They also need um, psychosocial support, you know, because of stigma and because of fear and, you know, temporary setbacks and sometimes permanent setbacks and, you know, all that. There needs to be that. And then when we look at, you know, California's budget and the threat of HIV social services being cut, that's why you have activists really fighting that. And then at the federal level, when, you know, Bush really wanted to cut back uh, Ryan White funding that wasn't medical and, you know, with case management, you know, they're fighting now because they want to cut it down to only medical case management. And that's just, you know, anybody who wants to do that just doesn't know anything about HIV. And, you know, people with HIV and, and people who work in the field who aren't positive but still are advocates, you know, we all have to make, you know, our state government and our federal government aware that comprehensive funding is the only way to manage HIV on a national basis. Absolutely. Not just national, you know, just not just nationally, but it, it flows down into you know your more grassroots efforts. So right. if you're not getting to the rural areas, because I think I think the I think our cities in, in urban areas have been saturated. It's now spreading out into the smaller communities, yeah. out across you know into Middle America, into um, into these smaller towns. And if it's not, you know, you're getting national coverage, but we also need to get down deeper, I think. Exactly, because I, when I go to national conferences and stuff and talk to my colleagues and counterparts in smaller areas, you know, they have clients that will drive two hours to the nearest HIV specialist for a medical appointment. You know, that's a that's a day-long project just to have it a is. routine really doctor. And then, yep. you know, and that's just the doctors and then, you know, the more psychosocial services like case management or mental health or peer support or treatment advocacy, you know, all those things, you know, they almost become a luxury the more rural it gets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so with that, um, there's a question that uh, that was posed in the, in the chat room. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, Kenji's asking it, is do you offer um, services to low-income uh, in, low folks? 
Well, to some degree. I mean, I, I work with a number of people who are on disability that somehow are able to afford, you know, to come to a private practice by, uh, you know, by having insurance benefits or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but, you know, I am more, you know, it, for private pay people or for people who have insurance um, in a private practice. And then for low income, I usually refer to some of the nonprofit agencies, including ones that are funded by the Ryan White Care Act. So. Mm-hmm. Somebody that couldn't afford to come to a private practice could go to APLA or the Gay and Lesbian Center or even non-HIV specific like the LA Free Clinic or Southern California Counseling Center or the Maple Center, just places that do you know, therapy for low-income people in general. What about, um, because I think part of, part of this, uh, the low income side, and I, I work with an organization here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh-huh. where we focus a lot on rural low income, um, because oftentimes that's that's what we have around here. Um, those are the types, you know, that's the demographic we have, uh-huh. and they can't get to some of those places. So we right. actually send people out. Yeah. Um, do you? Do you find that, you know, it's, you know, the proximity, the location, and, and for instance, like if, if, not to put you on the spot, but um, since you're on the show, I'm going to <laughs> not um, <laughs> but, uh But because, you know, you've got a private practice, and obviously, you, you know, you're in the business to make money. Let, yeah. You know, but so what do you – what do you say to someone who's looking for that and you just can't offer it to them because because you can't because we can't offer everything either um yeah. so we have to refer out to other agencies mm. um what's what's the best advice you could give to somebody who is not in an urban area mm. who is who might feel all by themselves who are out in a smaller let's look at um L.A., go north of Los Angeles, like to Palmdale, to Lancaster, uh, in those areas. Yeah. What What do you say, what advice would you give to one of the, to somebody like that? Well, I would say, you know, first of all, you know, there, there's no getting around a certain, you know, it sucks factor. I mean, you know, r- more rural areas are indeed underserved, and people can be frustrated by the lack of resources, and there's a certain amount that you can't get around. But I think the next best thing in terms of just coping with that, you know, if you don't have actual access to, you know, some of these urban services would be, my first thought is really the Internet because, you know, the Internet brings all kinds of information to people who are isolated like, you know, gay youth and and just, you know, WebMD about people looking up, you know, medical symptoms and just everything under the sun on through search engines like Google and stuff. So I think websites, you know, one of the reasons why I put, you know, my articles, a lot of them on the website is just for that. So somebody in a rural area can can have an act, have resource like, um, you know, an HIV mental health uh, website with articles on it. Um, also websites like thebody.com, which is, you know, psychosocial and medical. Um, that one is, you know, just kind of a treasure trove of information. And then maybe... My website doesn't have a chat room, but I think, um, you know, I'm trying to think of where, like, uh, I don't know if pause.com has a chat room or not, but, you know, I think there are some, and so, you know. Like pause.im. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, working with, uh, you know, so so online chat rooms would be a way to get peer support that, you know, and then at some point they might even, you know, they could chat online, but at some point they could bring it to the phone so it's more direct. And, um, you know, and just using, I think the Internet is probably the best one. And then making sure that, that there isn't a resource in the area that they're just not aware of, you know, trying to get information about, you know, who are the Ryan White Care Act funded agencies in their area and or where is the nearest one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Ryan White Care Act funded agencies, uh, you know, they, they do tend to cover the whole country. That's the point, you know, of federal funding like that. I mean, granted, it's, it's centered in urban centers, but you'd be surprised that there are sometimes Ryan White funded case management or mental health services in pretty rural areas. And they're based at, you know, like a hospital or, you know, a uh, Department of Public Health somewhere, something like that. Now, um, that, do you, you know, you get a lot of people, who obviously, who may be newly diagnosed to HIV. Is there, like, a common question or a common fear that they bring to the table and they ask you, like, you know, what's the one question you get all the time? Oddly enough, I, I still very often get the whole thing about, you know, am I going to die soon? I mean, even though that sounds kind of, I always think that that sounds, you know, anachronistic because, you know, first thing I want to do is point at the calendar and say, hello, it's 2009, you know, that that right. we do have AIDS deaths and it happens, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you look at numbers, it's really rare. You have lots of people who are living with HIV, not dying from HIV, and, you know, you have to look at the individual circumstances of when people die, you know. But uh, really, their peers, particularly for newly diagnosed, is that you know they can probably expect to be undetectable, you know, with good medical treatment, good access to an HIV specialist, and you know if they're adherent with meds and in a, a good cocktail, they'll likely get to undetectable and stay there. And you know, I always talk about you know they're talking about am I going to die soon, and I turn around and say you know how much are you contributing to your 401k at work because you you know you're going to have to plan to be. 80 or 90 or 100 years old, and, you know, you don't want to be broke. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm more concerned about them contributing to their retirement plan if they're 25 years old and positive than I am about them dying at the age of 26 or something. You know, they don't think that way at first, but but with time they realize that, that that's actually, you know, what they need to concern themselves with. Not if they neglect their health. I mean, they do need to be connected and they do need to... Um, be at least monitored if they don't go on meds right away. And a lot of the folks I work with don't. They've got numbers that taking medications isn't really indicated yet. But uh, for the ones that do, you know, and, and treating anything, I did have a guy recently who, you know, was tested but must have had like a strong strain or something because he had low CD4 count, a high viral load, and even um, some uh, kind of mild opportunistic infections and stuff like skin things, um, you know, right away. And so he needed a lot of medical intervention right from the time that he tested positive. But that that's rare. Oh, I know one of the things I wanted to remind everyone, because we're rounding down to the last couple of minutes here, is I want them to go to your website, which is gaytherapyla.com uh-huh. or posttherapist.com. We'll do it too, yeah. Right. And um, I want them to go sign up for your newsletter, because you offer a free newsletter that you send out that offers tips. Um, 
to have the life that you want. Uh, can you right. talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, that's more general because, you know, I mean, I do a lot of HIV work, but I also do mm-hmm. some general mental health. I have a few non-gay, non-positive clients, and kind of the theme of my whole therapy practice is have the life you want, and that's the name of my book. It's currently about half done, but that will be coming out within the next year or so. And uh, But that is um, kind of the theme. It's have the life you want, closing the gap between how life is and how you would like it to be in important areas of, of your life, your career, your relationship, your finances, your role in the community, all the different things that point to quality of life. And, and that's what the newsletter is, is that the newsletter is kind of a you know monthly feel-good newsletter with a success story about one of my clients that's heavily disguised to protect confidentiality. And uh, and just articles that just kind of, um, as I get inspired by something, um, you know, I write about it, and then I hope that inspires others. I had one a couple months ago about Dolly Parton's song, You Better Get to Live In. You know, she's such a positive thinker, and, and I think that that's genuine. I don't think that's just an act. But she had a song on her new album called Better Get to Live In about, you know, how to take charge of your life and quit whining and really, you know, work to overcome the things that bother you. Don't just kind of wallow in them, no matter what, you know, no matter how challenging they are. I have one more question from uh-huh. from the chat room, uh-huh. and the question is: Do you know the numbers um, or the uh, any statistics about the HIV rate with of of people in of color in um, in California? I only know a, a little bit of it from, you know, when I did work with an AIDS service organization a handful of years ago, and, and I don't have some of the newest data, and you know, always the newest data is several years old anyway by the time they compile it, but um, so I don't have specific numbers, but I, I do have a certain, you know, sense that, uh, you know, African-American women are somewhat underserved, and that's a growing area, um, certainly. There are big numbers of newly diagnosed people who are young gay men, even under 25. Um, you know, that's a big kind of growing group. And then um, young men of color, uh, Latinos and African Americans, um, that is a big group that is somewhat underserved, which is why certain agencies like AIDS Healthcare Foundation are trying to target, you know, testing and treatment for young gay men of color because they've been kind of underserved. So uh, in terms of, you know, older gay white men, the rates are, you know, fairly steady, but they're still, you know, way too high. I mean, in this day and age, we should be down to practically zero, and it, it, it ain't zero. It's a lot higher than that. But, uh, but you know, there are segments of the community that are more impacted than others and more growing than others, and, and that creates, that shows you where the need needs to be for targeting, for outreach and testing and awareness and all that. Yeah. That sounds good. Thank you so great. much, Ken Howard, for joining us tonight. You have to come back when your book comes out. Oh, that would be great. So we can uh, talk about it. Uh, I'm interested. But thanks for coming on. I just want to remind everyone that they can find out more about Ken at pausetherapist.com, and we'll put that up in the chat room. Ken, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Thank you very much. Yes, You're welcome. And thank you very, very much. This was a great, great hour spent. Oh, thanks. You're not going to bill us, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Ken, great. Ken, great opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you. And remember, guys, you can learn more about Ken at podtherapist.com. Um, definitely go and sign up for that interesting newsletter. Uh, Jeremy, you want to give a shout-out before we go? We have about 30 seconds. Come see me at positivelyspeaking.com. 
There you go. And you can join the other listeners of Pazayam Radio at Pazayam.com. Um, join our community, make a profile, and um, you know, follow us all on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're at, we're at, right? Yep, you got it. And don't forget to join us Wednesday at 2 p.m. We will be uh, speaking with Marvelyn Brown, the author of The Naked Truth. Go check her out at MarvelynBrown.com. Jeremy, have a great night. Right. Have a great evening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.